Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. For all of our returning listeners, thank you so much for listening, for sending me comments. I'd love reading those, for supporting the show. Uh, it's been so wonderful to have feedback from you all, and to all of the new listeners out there, welcome. I hope you enjoy this as much as the feedback I've been getting, that's for sure. Um, my guest today is someone that I've been fortunate to, to meet through both on and offline connections, which has been so great. We we have some really wonderful mutual friends. Um, I'm just delighted to be working with this woman. And I'm so excited to introduce Angela Dalton, CEO and founder of Signum Growth Capital. Angela is a rock star in the world of crypto and gaming. Way too many accolades to name here. One that was recently announced is that she has officially joined the board of directors at FaZe Clan, as she calls it, the creme de la creme of the esports brands. Angela, I can't wait to dig more into your background uh, and just talk more about the things that you've been working on. But just to start, could you give kind of a overview of who you are, what you do, the high points of your career and all of that good stuff? Sure. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. This is really exciting. Um, after listening to a few of your shows so far, or several of them, and I, um, I'd say that um, my career uh, started in the traditional finance world. So, um, and I was always in technology. So, in a traditional investment bank, as a technology specialist, um, touched both investment banking, equity research, um, sales and trading, um, and again, always as kind of the in the trenches expert on the tech space. And um, in 2003, so I started going to E3's uh, video game show in 2000, I think, one or two. And in, it was either 2003 or 2004 when the Wii came out. And I was... A great home, time for me, yeah. Blown <laughs> away. I couldn't leave that little demo booth. Um, and I just played and played and played. I was playing tennis. I was, you know doing the dance apps. I mean, I was just having so much fun. <clears throat> and it was, it was around that time that I started thinking, um, you know, I'm kind of in this, in this world of traditional media and um, also in this world where uh, at, you know, big investment banks where people, um, you know, media was a huge sector and everyone wanted to really flock to cover uh, these media companies in an in-depth way and mostly old, old media companies, legacy media companies. And, um, to be honest, I kind of thought, wow, gaming is so much more interesting. And also, by the way, nobody's going there, <laughs> so I don't have to fight for it. And, um, and so over the years, um, you know, I, I really dug into this concept that, um, you know, TV advertising, what is going on here? Like there are, um, still today, 160 billion dollars of TV advertising a year. Um, and I always say that it is, there's this window uh, called the TV screen, and there are $160 billion being thrown through that screen to empty living rooms. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing that that continue to, you know, continues to happen even today. If you look at Gartner and other industry groups, they project that that, that spending level will remain the same. And so, you know, for years, even though, you know, really getting into gaming, I knew I, I knew this gamer mentality, which was anti-advertising, and I agree with it uh, wholeheartedly. I, I was always kind of fascinated with what could actually get to real engagement. So that's one big thing that always drove me. Um, two is that even though I did all of tech, media, telecom most of my career, I've always gravitated to the most cutting edge tech, which brought me into Bitcoin, brought me into esports. I was the first kind of, you know, south side Wall Street type who, who covered esports as an analyst and did kind of the big deep dive primer, which was before Overwatch launched. And, um, and then got into Bitcoin, you know, got into, you know, just various technologies to try to figure them out. 
So those are really, that's really kind of what drove me. And then um, what, you know, uh, we went to, um, I, I left to go to Evercore Partners as a co-founder of the equities business um, and managing the tech media telecom sector. And, um, and was, was allowed to have, that was the first moment where I was allowed to kind of stop running as fast as I could and, and really like think we, we me and my partners and I, we all thought about like, you know, bringing in 87 people, we were running fast, but it was really much more stand back and think strategically about, um, you know, the business, et cetera. And, um, so we ended up building that business, which was great. Um, uh, there was, um, an exit moment, which took me to Guggenheim. Guggenheim allowed me to really just lean into my passions, which is emerging tech. Um, and then uh, it, I was, I met the gentleman who finalized the ERC 721 standard for NFTs. Uh, wow. And that was about a year after I listened to Tim Sweeney's presentation on the metaverse. And the two of those together resulted in a major epiphany, uh, which was NFTs had the ability or the potential to solve a problem that had been that had existed in gaming for decades. Um, meaning, you know, people buy, sell, and trade assets in the game for you know for a long, very long time. Excuse me, and they had not. Um, there wasn't really a way um, to do that in a in a way that the publisher in a publisher sanctioned way. Um, and that, um, so I thought, wow, you know, NFTs could be that window that instead of the TV screen, there could be a new window that brands could look through and actually, uh, find real engagement on the other side, uh, and, um, and provide creators a way to actually own, uh, their creations and to take more of the, uh, uh you know, a higher percentage of the value that they created. So I left to start Signal Growth Capital, and that's all we do. We focus on this intersection of uh, crypto, gaming, culture. I call it crypto meets culture. So anything mass market meets uh, meets crypto. Okay, well, there's a billion things to pull on there, but I want to give a brief shout out to E3 because <laughs> I love that that was, you know, that used to be such a, such a center uh, for gaming. So it's kind of cool. Gaming industry is a little bit strange to me in the fact that conferences are so important. Uh, I have not worked in another industry where I thought conferences were such a good place to meet, gather, and talk about ideas. Um, and then that second little to a crypto conference, Lindsay. There I, I am positive it's very so. I, as someone who has been to gaming conferences that delve into crypto, I mean the Twitter communities alone for crypto are like out of this world. I can't even imagine the real life. Um, and then the second little shout out I wanted to give is that did you? see the news about Wii Sports coming to Switch because I have heard nothing but good things about it and that it's even more realistic and even more fun and you can do 2v2 in your own living room and all kinds of stuff. I love it. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually really looking forward to um, potentially demoing it or getting it uh, soon here. I'm also a big Wii Sports fan. Um, but I want to go back a little bit because you started starting an investment banking and working in the investment world for a whole portion of your career. Um, and I know that you said you always kind of were in the emerging technology business and you definitely walked through kind of the things that you're into now, but what has been the thing that's kept you on emerging technology for so long? What excites you about all the, the, the change and the growth that you've been seeing in the emerging tech starting, you know, at E3 in 2001, all the way up into Tim Sweeney in the metaverse and now into Signum growth? Honestly, curiosity probably. And I, I'm, I'm passionate about figuring out behavior change. I know that sounds a little weird, but huh. it's, um, and I didn't really realize I was passionate about it, but um, until I started seeing um, really my kids, you know, I have kids, I have little brothers that are 15-ish years younger than me. I've got kids that range from 20 to 10, believe it or not. So we've got a lot of generations going on around me. And, um, and I've always loved, um, you know, I've always loved to just watch behavior change and try to figure out what it means for culture shifts. And, um, you know, my son, when he was 11, 
um, a lot of most people who know me know this story, came to me and, and told me he was going to uh, start mining Bitcoin. And um, it was the biggest kind of argument that we had got. That we yeah. had state. That is and a bold death. statement from an 11 year old. Yeah, <laughs> we're not doing that. I don't know anything about that yet. Um, and anyway, we negotiated and he instead uh, built a Minecraft server. He ran as a Minecraft server. And that was when Minecraft had just come out. So this is like mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it had recently come out. This is like 2012. And um, so he um so that got my attention i started watching him play minecraft and thinking this is not what i've seen before this is different there's no bad guy there's no you know what i mean and and yeah it was just a lot of building and constructing and then i also saw this this shift in his own um relationship with his friends and his own ability to communicate he was um you know all of a sudden on Skype all the time, um, quickly articulating his thoughts, which I hadn't seen him do. And I saw so many benefits from this creativity and collaboration, like the, the creativity, the collaboration, um, and, you know, just the, the ways, um, the, the negotiations that were happening, all of those felt like pretty big behavioral shifts, um, for that generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's now 20. And, um, and so that was a big, that was a big one for me. Um, he did, he did, uh, but he was a gold rank League of legends player, which, uh, you know, most moms don't brag about, but I brag about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I think we're finally getting to the point where everyone's bragging about those kinds of achievements. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. That was also like, uh, you know, the, the, the team aspect of it, the, um, you know, and then my daughter, who is more of a analog artist, uh, she is not, she's not digital, she's analog, but just this collaboration and creativity and, and Tim Sweeney's, you know, kind of mantra of, um, you know, developers to the front of the line, creators to the front of the line. That's a big cultural shift and behavioral shift. So what do you think about, and this is a little off topic, but what do you think about offices in the metaverse then? Um, I've seen a lot of competing ideas. One of the things that is a little bit odd for me is I've, I've been work from home for, gosh, since the beginning of March 2020 now. I, I haven't had to go back into an office. And I, I frankly love being work from home, as do I think a lot of people who have made that shift. And I've seen a lot now about, um, I know that Facebook just announced kind of a, a bigger virtual office in Horizon Worlds. And we're seeing more of that. And I, I don't know that I would want to put on a headset in my home. I don't know that every experience is going to be translated well into the metaverse, but I'm curious to get your thoughts specifically on that because there is obviously an in-person aspect to the collaboration and the creativity um, that I think could potentially be captured in the metaverse. But yeah, I just, I, I would just love to get hear your opinions on office life in the metaverse. That that's something that we talk a lot about entertainment and that's the fun stuff, the exciting stuff. What about the kind of day-to-day stuff where we rely on communication and collaboration and creativity? Like what does that look like? Yeah, so I um yeah, I think that the uncanny valley is real and I think that there's a an aspect to virtual work, virtual um, you know, activity that that um I almost feel like Zoom has leapfrogged a lot of the technology advancements that were made in that. Really? Yeah, this is sounds a little strange, but I, I feel like we weren't really used to being one of many squares on a screen and conducting a meeting. I mean, you know, I remember in early COVID, my grandmother passed away very sadly, but we pulled off the, the funeral and it was authentic and all of we could see each other's faces and emotions and and I think for real connection to happen I think zoom uh you know you know we were zoomed into the metaverse like I always say that we have this we had this moment where all of a sudden we had multi-sensory activity going on on zoom um and I think that led to us wondering whether or not we had met in person or on or just on zoom and mm-hmm. um the reason we have that multi-sensory experience is because we can see expression uh so a couple of weeks or a couple months ago 
So I am um, a theme developer for ARK Invest, and we're advisors to ARK Invest and Kathy Wood as well. And I just love the the team and the ethos there. And um, we have a brainstorm every Friday for two hours, uh, which I would love for you to join, Lindsay. By the very cool, and, yeah, that's um, really it's really neat. It's Thank such you. a yeah mind uh, advancing kind of two hours. My favorite two hours of the week, Great. and. Um, I did a, an experiment. I created an avatar. I spent quite a bit of money on my avatar to look really perfect. And I, uh, I, I, that was my first meeting. I, I used it there. And then I committed to using it for a week in meetings. And it was, it was too, it looked too much like me, but not enough like me that I concluded that Valley. I yeah. might as well just take like, just use Zoom. Like, you can see my face. You right. know, I couldn't laugh with my real smile. I couldn't. Um, there were too many things that I couldn't do. And then there was another weird thing, which is that um, when other people were talking, my mouth was moving. <laughs> That's just a tech glitch. But I just think that, you know, in a lot of, you know, metaverse spaces, without the ability to see real expression, I have a hard time seeing the real work environment moving in that direction. I mean, we have seen a few of those spaces. Um, Vadim is one, uh, Eric Pouillet's uh, company. Um, but um, yeah, I think, I know, I think it's yeah, VTube has been the popular one for trying to capture expression, yeah. but I think you're right. There is, um, yeah. At what point is it just easier to just use your human self on a screen versus entering an entire world? Also, this is an aside, but I, I can't, I can't fully imagine the physical side effects of wearing um, a VR goggles and having to adjust in and out of different worlds uh, for multiple hours at a time per day. I think that that would be a little difficult. And I don't know that we've necessarily explored the physical challenges of working in, in the metaverse. Um, as I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of research happening at the companies that believe in this, but I, I would be, I am very curious and very excited to kind of, think about that. Um, even just the strain on your eyes and what that's like. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a, a long way to go, but I, I find the zoom perspective that you gave extremely interesting. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and going back to what we're talking about, there is so much growth in this space. I mean, we started off with office space and kind of skipped over even the more fun parts of it, you could say. Um, but I want to actually hear from you about what that growth means for people who put money into it. Uh, why did you decide to build a firm around emerging tech? And what is the draw of the metaverse for someone who's examining it from an investment angle? There's so much out there. How do you decide this is, what's, this is what I think is going to work, this isn't? That's a really great question. So um, we uh, you know, have organized some, some um, funds uh, around later stage investments. Um, when we started the company, my number one goal, <laughs> this kind of sounds strange because, because everybody who knows me knows that I, um, you know, Epic, I say, I say it all the time, Epic Games and Tim Sweeney are kind of my North Star in terms of the business model. And uh, so we wanted to be investors in Epic. So um, we wanted to be investors in Discord. We wanted to, um, because we think that, um, you know, those two companies and there are others are really going to be platforms for the metaverse, not uh, right now, there's this understanding of, of, of um, Epic Games, which people know about Unreal Engine, but most people think of Fortnite. I don't even think we're going to think about mm -hmm. Fortnite as the, the first, well, Fortnite will obviously clearly exist, but like the first word that comes to mind won't be Fortnite. It might be the description of the backdrop which is like a playground where we have, uh, or, or a work environment or a movie theater or, you know, a lot of different things. Right. And so um, I think from an investment perspective that opens an enormous opportunity. So if I think about Epic Games as an example of a metaverse backdrop, and I think about Discord as an example of a communications platform for the metaverse, uh, the, it's almost like the homepage, the old school homepage when people used to have their www.metawomanpodcast.com page. Um, now that has moved to these metaverse spaces. And instead of, just a, instead of just looking at a website, we can actually almost be in the quote store with the other uh, 
people who care about that store mingling and the cash register happens to be there. So from an investment perspective, it's, it's extraordinarily uh, exciting because these economies that are building up uh, are being shifted from offline worlds. And so I want to be invested in those spaces, literally, where new economies are bubbling up, because I think that um, we've seen it, you know, we've, we've just seen the, the zero to one moment, you know, that from the beginning to, you know, this, this, this kind of, you know, bend in the S curve in, in the early days is pretty dramatic. And so I, I, what we are excited about and what we're digging into are really early stage metaverse tools companies and software companies um, and content creators that are doing things in a different way. And then um, really the other end of the barbell, which is um, which are these later stage um, backdrops for the metaverse where, where we believe um, several companies have a real lead. That makes so much sense. I wanted to kind of, there's a, a piece I wanted to talk about a little further. Oh, and that was that the, um, now the Epic announcement with Lego, uh, and oh gosh, Sony, I was totally, totally blanked on the three companies that were part of that now, but are you, and this is a question I've asked of, of guests before, are you thinking of the, and this is a, honestly, this is a consistent business pattern we see. What I think is is most likely to happen is a, a pattern that's happened in tech all along, right? Where you start with a bunch of different companies and then eventually a few companies emerge as kind of the, the dominant leaders in the space. And then those companies begin acquiring the smaller companies and create kind of larger conglomerates. In this matter, it was easy to imagine with social media. I mean, that's exactly what happened, right? We have a bunch of large platforms who have then not necessarily bought up all the smaller platforms and really don't want to get into an antitrust debate, but by and large, <laughs> innovation kind of follow these pa- follows these patterns of, you know, you have a ton of players and then those players get whittled down into the players that are really successful. And then the really successful players start to spur on the cycle of innovation by buying up the smaller players. That's a pattern we've seen time and time again. Are you thinking that with metaverse style experiences, the same pattern is going to be followed? And do you mm-hmm. see a future where we have, where we are engaging with multiple platforms, multiple companies, or do you think that there is going to be, and this is, this has been widely debated, but that one metaverse that we all log into the ready player one future of, we all put on a certain headset or a piece of hardware and we're all in there together at the same time. Can I just say really quickly that I love your style of interviewing because this was not one of the questions, but this is just a conversation and I love it. For all, yeah. um, For all the listeners out there, I send a list of questions and then I ask maybe three out of 10. <laughs> Happens every time. But yes, yes. <laughs> the first one, which was my background. <laughs> no, right. I do love this question because it's, um, it's actually the reverse of the old world. In that I could see the Epic Games metaverse uh, and other metaverses like it. I don't believe there will just be one. I believe there will be many. Um, and But I could see the backdrop, the playground, the, the whatever you want to call it. Um, I could see that as a um, breeding ground of new, exciting entrepreneurial spirit, like new, exciting companies that instead of getting gobbled up, get born. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's going to be a spark of, you know, that it's going to light a fire under entrepreneurs. I mean, it's going to bring more kids, more adults, more people generally to these metaverse spaces to create real companies that where they can make real money and they can, um, you know, uh, hire people and um, create new products and sell new products and maybe even sell products to um, other companies that are down the road in the metaverse from them. So I view it as a, um, as really the opposite of the old school gobble up every company and roll it in as soon. Like I called the, the, you know, what we all in public markets referred to, um, with Facebook is just the whack-a-mole strategy. Like as soon as, you know, Instagram looks interesting, like, you know, bang it over the head and that's a great name, <laughs> <laughs> bang it over the head and bring it in, bang it, bang it, bang it you know? And, and, um, and, and I think that, um, you know, companies like Discord, um, and, uh, and Epic and others see 
really an opportunity to create a breeding ground for creativity and entrepreneurialism. That's definitely been shown so far, and it's not without its own set of issues. That's for sure. And there's been some really amazing reporting around that with Roblox in particular. But I do like this idea, and this gets into what this podcast is about, right? That a lot of the barriers are then removed, even as you mentioned, age barriers. But I also think that there is a real opportunity for other barriers of gender and income and uh, race and sexual identity that can be removed in a place where you're developing online tools via an online platform uh, and not necessarily having to contend with some of the real world settings that we all contend with. Um, that's been a popular topic of conversation here and elsewhere. Um, so I'm sort of enthused about that portion of, of the changing way we're thinking about tech development. Uh, but getting back to one of the questions I actually did write down, <laughs> there's so much press around all of this. And a lot of it is, is very negative. Um, I think a lot of it is kind of so funny because every time I, I bring up the metaverse, there's always someone out there who says, ah, it's second life. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, that was, that was a platform to enter the metaverse. And now we have new ones and now we have different ones and now we have different ways of engaging. So there's no problem with highlighting second life, but also we can think beyond second life. Um, Although they did, Brasdale did have an, a really incredible foresight in designing second super life. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. I would love to give credit to second life. I'd also love to give credit to a lot of the other things that are happening without just <laughs> bucketing it all into second life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that there's so much potential in this space, but as an enthusiast, what do you think about some of the criticisms? What are some of the positives that you're excited about? Um, just how do you how do you contend the negative with the positive and balance that all out? Mm -hmm. It is um, it's really tricky in crypto right now and in NFTs and in DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations um, in NFTs specifically. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, crypto native left you know left my traditional place in 2017 to create a business around nfts and gaming and and um the metaverse and um what we've actually seen uh has so far been um mostly bad behavior <laughs> there's been some really really exciting and um uh creative uh, there've been some exciting uh, breakthroughs true breakthroughs in the technology and um a lot of the really uh, exciting things that that I referred to earlier in terms of NFTs being windows into real engagement and NFTs representing, um, you know, programmable or providing programmable royalties for artists. Uh, that is that 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 is happening and that's amazing. But I think that you know the gamer backdrop in me, or you know, like the the understanding of how gamers think and act is, uh, you know, the anti-advertising, the skepticism around money grabs is actually valid. I think that, uh, you know, the crypto industry has um, really needs to clean up its act in terms of these rug pulls and, um, you know, money scams. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, Jason Citron, uh, the CEO of Discord said it best when somebody challenged him, uh, as to you know whether or not why weren't they moving into nfts and and web3 and he said we see a lot of you know promising um you know aspects to web3 but we we're really focusing now on fixing the scams spams and and frauds and i think that that will naturally evolve and here's the way i think it will naturally evolve so right now if you are if if two or three people decide to create a company and they decide to issue a token um, and they use that money that they raise from issuing the token to build their company that, and then they still control, they still control the company, they control all the actions um, that, and if that token is publicly traded on, a, on an exchange, for example, that's no different from a company in that there is, there is inf an information balance between the the founders and the general public, right? And there is a publicly traded token that represents the ownership of that of that you know project or company. And I think that the onus is really on those founders to um, you know live out the ethos of crypto, which is decentralization, in my view, 
um, and which is, uh, you know, and even if you don't believe in pure decentralization, which in gaming, I, I don't believe that things, I, I don't think it's possible to start uh, as decentralized. I think things naturally evolve, you know, the networks naturally evolve to be decentralized. But still, in that process of moving to decentralization, what we're going for here is democratization, like democracy. We're going for bringing in people that never had access before. We're going for this concept of creators and developers to the front of the line. We're going for transparency. So if we're going for democratization uh, of finance and value creation, and we're going for self-sovereign wealth creation, we're going for all of these ideals, then we need to be, we need to see founders who are also transparent about their ownership, their operations, um, you know, and, and the idea that, that, you know, if you see one of these pump and dumps, you know, you have to be asking, you know, is, is this even what we set out to do? And the answer is no, this is totally gotten off piece in my view. So I think we're going to get there. And I think that's going to come from, um, I think that's going to come from disclosures, better communications with the public. Um, having had a 20-year career in, in securities, it's just really important to disclose what you're doing and to have, um, you know, meaningful communications with the public if you have a publicly traded token, which rep represents ownership in your company. So I used to work in tech policy and there's a, <laughs> the tech policy nerd in me is just screaming with questions about <laughs> regulatory approaches. Um, but I don't want to get into that because that's going to lead us down a wild rabbit hole. And that's a conversation that we could have offline to be aware of uh, what your, your congressional folks are up to when it comes to the crypto space and uh, how they could potentially damage it with some of their approaches. So everyone go look it up if you haven't already. Um, there's some congressional folks who are working on very good things and some ones who are not. So and I, we will leave it at that. Um, but I also have never heard such a true explanation of growing pains that didn't relate to physical ones because <laughs> that the whole time you were speaking, I couldn't help but think growing pains. These are all growing pains. Um, and so hopefully once things get bigger, <laughs> there's also some improvement there. Um, I wanted to push a little bit though on the esports and gaming piece, or I'm sorry, esports and crypto piece. Because I want to hear from your experience what some of those nexus points are where the two overlap very well. We talked a little bit about you know, skins trading, kind of digital asset types of things. Um, but what other ways of you know, fan engagement, player base growth, Twitch growth, even streaming growth, uh, esports, pro leagues, amateur leagues, how do all of those in your mind relate to crypto? What are some of the opportunities you see there? Yeah, so there are so many. Um, I'll just touch on a few. Um, so one, I think obvious one is, you know, the NBA Top Shot lookalike, which is all of the moments in esports and all of the, you know, whether it be, you know, winning an award, whether it be a great moment in gaming, um, uh, whether, you know, it be, you know, a great promotion. There's so many moments. And so I think that all of those um, could be NFTs. And I think that they would have the same kind of value that, you know, a three point shot, you know, basketball, you know, in the basketball court have. And I think that, um, you know, another, and I also think that the esports business model is challenged. I, I thought esports would be first. I really did. I thought they back, uh, in 2017, I thought, well, esports will clearly lean into this first because their business models are challenged in terms of um, you know, making money. And this is a no brainer way for them to just like add on revenue at almost no cost and, um, you know, tokenize. Yeah. Like you said, skins, digital assets. Um, I hadn't thought of moments until NBA top shop, but, um, and, uh, and they haven't because I think, you know, of the skepticism around, uh, NFTs and the money grab aspect of it, which I totally get. Um, I, and I think that um, the other big thing I see is brands. I see a, um, you know, so uh, we got involved very early with mythical games. 
uh, in LA. And I loved uh, one of my favorite moments in watching the development from the seed 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 round when I met, I met John Linden at a, at a demo day in LA, uh, which was amazing. And, um, you know, from those early days to now, one of my favorite moments is when they launched the Blanco um, called Sharky, which was the Burberry Blanco. And I bought the um, I bought the pool shoes and I bought the armbands and the idea of having a sharky character in my game, um, you know, they, 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 they sold out in seconds. Um, and, and that is a big shift because it's not, it's not the kind of advertising that gamers hate and that I do not like. And, and, and the reason why I do hope the metaverse evolves, uh, or grows up in a way that is completely different from you know, the, you know, Facebooks of the world and Googles and the advertising based models. I hope we leave that for dead because it creates, I think advertising creates this conflict of interest, this human conflict of interest between creators and their fans. But I don't think that brand engagement in, in fun creates an inauthentic human conflict of interest. Because I think that as a, you know, back in 2017, what I used to say was, I want to take my Gucci bag from the holiday party to the Mario party. And so that, um, that concept, you know, still exists and, um, associating my pause really quick, because that is an amazing way of saying it. (laughs) Gucci bag from the holiday party to the Mario party. Like that is going to probably be the title of this episode. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people like to identify themselves with um, brands as a way of signaling who they are. And so I see just a huge, um, uh, you know, potential there. I always, uh, one of the behavioral shift um, uh, thought pieces that that we wrote um, early on and that I got to, I got to deliver uh, to MIT uh, students in, I've done it now this coming year will be my fourth year in a row. And it's, it's about the combination of NFTs and gaming. Um, it is this um, idea that, uh, and usually half, half the deck back then was mythical games because that they were the only example that we had, but now we've got more examples. But the idea was imagine back in, uh, you know, when I was growing up, the house, or my, the home that I grew up in, in the suburbs of Kansas City was the center of identity. It was a center of status and the radius around that house was basically, you know, I could get in my car, I could drive somewhere. My car is identifies me and my status. I could invite people over to my house and I could, you know, lay the table with fancy China. There's art on the wall. I've got my chocolate lab, you know, like all these things kind of identify who I am. And um, when the uh, first millennials graduated from college, uh, Facebook was born, the iPhone was born, Instagram was born. You know, these all happen, uh, you know, in succession. And all of a sudden, the center of gravity for status and identity is now that little rectangle in your hand. You can go to Machu Picchu and take a selfie. And all of a sudden, that's a lot more impactful than having, a, you know, having a piece of art on the wall. And so this, this, this explosion of mobility that we all got to experience and, um, you know, the velocity that came with that, with, uh, you know, if I, I can rent the runway next weekend, turn, send it back, run another dress, you know, take a selfie. I'm, you know, here I am. And in the new meta, in the new world that we're going into now, I'm very excited because that, that interim, that that adjusting adjustment phase, I guess, or I don't know, interim step. Uh, you know, the beginning, the beginning was uh, physical and physical world. The interim step was digital representations of physical. And the new world is digital on digital. So I'm really excited about that move to, um, to, that, to that fully digital space. And I think what it'll include for all of us is just the digital version of that house back when, you know, kind of like the one I grew up with, grew up in, in, in Overland Park, Kansas. You know, it's going to have my, the wallpaper I choose. I see it with my, my 10 year old and I have been playing Roblox together for years. 
and she's got it's very it's just pitted out she's got her space and and she's having lemonade stands and she's got outfits galore and you know so i think i love that we started with esports and wound up in kind of identity factors um that was very fun well, to listen e-sports, to so. i mean brands are so important for esports oh, yeah, yeah. part of the it was a logical transition <laughs> i was not criticizing at all it just was a very very fun to listen to you talk about all the possibilities uh we've kind of circled around this topic too but i do want to end with a discussion on on your career as a woman um you i especially starting in investment banking i'm sure you have several stories. Um, and you had mentioned earlier, you know, we don't have enough women in tech and we're always trying to kind of get more and, and feed that pipeline a little bit better. But how do you think we can improve diversity in the tech industry? And are there any specific kind of action items or programs or anything of that nature that you've seen where you think, wow, it would be great if this was everywhere? Um, so I'm going to go back to, so in, in 2019, um, I was honored to ask to speak on women in leadership and financial services. There still aren't as many women uh, as you would, as you might think even now in financial services and investment banking and in, um, you know, general uh, finance. And uh, in crypto, I thought there would be more um, it's probably even more male dominated gaming, as we know, you know, is pretty male dominated. Right. And, um, <laughs> anyway, I was inspired by Michelle Williams in 2019 when she won the Emmy award, um, and her speech, uh, you know, she kept saying, uh, this term, this, this, um, phrase, believe her is what she kept in- interspersing in her converse, in her, in her speech. And it was all about thanking her bosses at Fox for paying her paying her equally. Um, at the time, she would, she had just been in um, all the money in the world, and uh, it was uncovered that she was paid a thousand dollars for reshoots. And Mark Wahlberg was paid one point oh, five million dollars. Uh huh. I remember that. Yeah. And um, and so when she won the Emmy for um. It was for Fosse Verdon at that, that time. She, she just said, I want to thank my bosses for treating me equally, for paying me equally, and for believing me. And that whole believing me taps into a lot with women. We have imposter syndrome. We have, there's, a, there's a lot there. And it inspired me to start thanking the mentors in my life, most of whom are men, because that's who I've been surrounded by my whole career. But I think it sets an example to call, to give a public shout out to somebody who does do the right thing and support women and just try to encourage more of that positive behavior. So that's one thing that I I try to keep in the back of my mind is is to thank my mentors along the way. And I've I've had so many, I'm, I'm so grateful. Um, And then the other thing is just to, you know, pull another woman up anytime you can. If anybody calls me to ask me to speak on a panel and I, if I can't do it, I always try to give three women as replacements, just because the more of us that get in the mix, uh, you know, the the better it'll be. It takes time, takes a lot of time, unfortunately, but it, um, I think just bringing each other up. One one thing that, um, as you know, because you just joined us, which is exciting, um, a few years ago, um, I was at Gamesbeat and we, there was a women in, you know, gaming breakfast. And um, one of the other attendees, uh, Juja James, and I, after, work, after the uh, conference, we talked and we thought, you know, let's create a women in gaming, that, that breakfast, let's, let's do that every couple of weeks. And, um, so now we're on, we're on two and a half years later, we've been meeting every two weeks. I think we've taken off maybe during, um, the holidays, we took off a week and we took off a couple of weeks during, you know, one week each summer. Um, but we have been, um, really excited to see we have women founders in gaming, um, execs and um, investors in gaming. And we call it WIGS, WIGS on Women in Gaming Zoom on Wednesdays. And uh, our Discord is, is really important. We don't have any, it's all Chatham House rules. We don't have any, you know, LinkedIn posts after. We don't have any 
you know, the purpose is not marketing. The purpose is really to actually truly ask, you know, ask each other, how can we help? So we have asks and offers, like, what would you like from the group? What can the group, what can you offer to the group? And then each week we spotlight another woman, you know, founder, exec, or investor, uh, and interview her like you're interviewing me on this podcast. So, um, you know, I'd love, we'd love to have more, uh, you know, women reach out and, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's just a couple of ideas, but I think bringing other women up and bringing other women along with you is, is, is pretty key. Yeah. That's been a, in, in the, the pace of progress has been a, uh, shared, I don't know if disappointment is the right word, but shared uh, point of sadness, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Consternation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, For several of the people that I've brought on, but I am happy to hear. And part of the reason why I started this particular podcast was for the same reason. I do think that positive reinforcement is really important. If shame worked as a tool of making people's behavior better, our society would probably look a lot different. And I don't think it would be in a positive way. So Mm I am happy that there's been a wave of positive reinforcement uh, and calling out good behaviors. I think that's that's really, really critical. And it offers the chance for so many different people to be role models, which is really neat. So before we get to the very last segment, I want to read a quick little summary of all the stuff we talked about because we covered a lot in this 45 minutes. So much so fast. We actually started off with a discussion on Zoom and leaping into metaverse-like experiences by allowing multiple sensory inputs and points from sounds and emotions, facial expressions, etc. But basically, that was our a first mass entry point into metaverse-like experiences, allowed us to be ourselves, which is really going to kind of change the way we think about digital adver- avatars and interacting digital spaces. When it comes to your vast experience in investment opportunities and investment banking and all of the stuff, I like that you pointed out that Epic is your North Star. I think that's an in- incredibly uh, brave stance to take. <laughs> not not brave in the sense of um, a poor choice, but brave in the sense of most people don't call out <laughs> what they're exactly looking at. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, economies are being shifted into online worlds and new economies are bubbling up. And you are looking to dig into tool companies, software companies, and combined with a later stage kind of backdrop. So like you said, the two ends of the barbell, the really, really new and innovative and creative portions. And then the legacy companies that have a a good, strong backing and a career in innovative technology. We also talked about the pattern of metaverse development and how it's not going to be a bunch of small companies merge into a bunch of big companies who then buy up small companies. We're getting a different kind of hamster wheel of development there. Um, And the epic metaverse is kind of showing that that playground is a good... reading place for the entrepreneurial spirit. New, new companies can get born. There's much fewer restrictions on age, gender, all the other things that might hold someone back. We also talked a lot about NFTs, other windows into engagement and programmable royalties for artists, but how crypto needs to clean up its act because a lot of companies are spending time working on scams, spams, and frauds, a very succinct way of demonstrating some of the issues. Comes to opportunities in esports, there's an immediate opportunity that's just like NBA Top Shots with lookalikes. There's also a lot of opportunity with digital on digital identity indicators. So brands getting into advertising, but in such a way that does not create a conflict of interest between creators um, and putting out advertisements themselves. So it allows for brand engagement and brand identity um, on the user end, which is really special. And then we ended with a short discussion on how being in an environment where you're believed is so important. And it's also important to Thank your positive role models, bring other women up and offer support to anyone who might need it. So with all of that in mind and our our wide ranging discussion there, I like to end every podcast with a moment of reflection, just a chance for you to look back on your career. And I will ask you, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming slash crypto slash emerging technology industry and being successful? Um. Well, I would tell my younger self, um, it's funny because I hadn't read this question, (laughs) but I'm going to think about it right now. I think that, um, you know, I have gotten more, uh, I've become more of a risk taker as I've gotten older. Usually people become less or more risk averse. I've become more risk seeking. Um, Like, I think one of the, you know, best things that I did was actually go work 
for when we started the company, work for the Web3 Foundation on the launch of Polkadot. We didn't get into that, but that was very early days in a brand new crypto network. I knew a lot about Bitcoin, but I was just learning about crypto. And it was a risk. Um, I had a really strong gut that the ethos of um, Gavin Wood and the other, you know, people who created Polkadot was the right ethos for crypto. And I'm really glad that I did that. It was, I did it without a lot of information. Um, I did as much research as I could very quickly. And then I, and then I went on my gut and I wish that I would have done that more when I was younger. When I was younger, I was typically the only woman in the room and I was trying to I went down the conservative route most of the time because I thought, well, you know, unless I know everything, I'm not going to come out and say what I think. Unless I really have every single detail, unless I, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, and by the way, also I've got like all these student loans. And so I'm going to get a really good paying job and I'm going to work my way up. And it's just so liberating to be an entrepreneur and to go with my gut more. I used to be more analysis and I love numbers as much as the next person, you know, but I used to lean into those that the, the, the quantitative analysis more. Now I lean more into the qualitative and into people because I learned over the years that the hunch on people is is the thing like that is the thing uh that's how i know i'm on the right path is if i'm with the right people oh well i love that and as someone who was sort of part of the great resignation and i i left my job in 2021 and it's been a scary world um but it also has been more fun than i've ever had so that is really really wonderful advice and that was something that i personally needed to hear so thank you so much i am just so excited to listen to you uh, and also in the business of esports, you provide such a, a great perspective. And so I really, um, you know, want to say thank you for all the work you're doing. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah, that's well, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, this has been a phenomenal project to work on. And I'm just so grateful for all the support. Angela, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you, follow you, keep up with Signum, all of that good stuff? Uh, so SignumGC.com. Uh, is our website and then we uh, write a blog blog called bits of signum on substack and so uh, anyone can subscribe and um you know we have a discord but uh we're going to get to the next phase of our business where we uh invite everybody on to 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 talk and brainstorm um and so i'll let you know more about that when we have it yay that's so much fun for all of our listeners out there please be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews or just send me your really nice comments or come on this podcast and compliment me here <laughs> as Angela has just shown. Um, be sure to check out other holodeck podcasts, including meta business for all the metaverse finance stories you could ever want business of esports for interviews with industry leaders. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss. You can catch me Wednesday nights on the business of esports live after show. And you can catch this podcast in your feed every Tuesday, but sometimes Wednesday. And we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.